Yo, what up, what up, what up? This is the Lazy Philosophers Podcast, and today I got with a Skylar Higley who loves being lost in paradox. Yo. You know? We just missed that whole lost in paradox part. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. Well, you know what, dude? Like, this is the thing is, I think this conversation is going to be, like, really great um, conversation sex. Yeah. That, like, that, 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 basically, I feel like if you have a good podcast episode, it feels like post-sex without the orgasm. Absolutely. You know, and without um, the... Oh, wait. The, I'm not going to come? <laughs> and, also not, <laughs> and also not wondering, where, where, where do we really stand after this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, that's always weird. Yeah. And you're like, you have that conversation. You're like, okay, everything's good. We're like friends. And we have that time. Yeah. Whereas, I don't know, no conversation afterward that... You know, even if it's short, you're like, oh, whatever, this is awkward, and then That's I don't a, like that. I don't like that. It, this is the thing: is a lot of times people are, and I, the, the topic we're talking about misery, suffering. Which, which which one do you think will get more people in suffering? I think suffering. I think suffering. Yeah. Misery is so specific, and suffering is something that is part of, I think, like the very makeup of existence. Whereas misery is an emotional context that we've put on suffering. Yeah, so you think misery is a sub sub subgroup of a suffering? A subset of suffering. Yeah. I, I can see that because I'm suffering. Why? My leg is caught in the blender, but are you miserable? No, not really. No, I'm not happy. Really. <laughs> I didn't need that leg. Yeah. I have two. Yeah, but if you're miserable, you could say, are you, you so you feel like you're suffering. So I'd be like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that suffering is uh, like, it's, it's not permanent. It doesn't have to be permanent, I don't think. And I think that there is an inherent suffering to life, but I don't think that it has to be an inherent misery if you... It's just the lens you look at suffering. So misery is like a version of suffering. Mm. But you could consider suffering just a specific type of contrast between two things. That, in a way, I think... It depends on how you define it. But I think that, in a way, is suffering because it's two things, thoughts or ideas, warring against each other. Like you could say Republican Democrats right now. Currently, because of that war, the country is suffering, quote-unquote. But it's not necessarily miserable through every context. Mm. So suffering implies an expectation where misery is just a state? Yeah. Mm. I would say that for sure. I mean, and, and suffering is more of maybe like the existential definition, whereas misery, I think of somebody just like sitting there listening to fucking Blink-182 or whatever sad kids listen to now and are just sad and... Everything sucks and everything is awful. Where suffering, I think, is much more than that. Yeah, it's deeper than that. It it feels deep. Like when I imagine someone suffering, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. Like when when you're at the gym getting your fucking just your swole on, not like me, but like you. <laughs> when you're when you're like you're suffering when you're working out. That is suffering, mm. like in physically in your muscles, but. You wouldn't say, like, if someone was like, oh, man, nobody's ever come up to you at the gym and been like, oh, bro, I'm so sorry, bro. Like, because yeah, uh, you're not miserable. You're no, just suffering. Exactly. I'm here for you, man. Well, you do hear that. You do hear that in the gym. I hear for you, man. <laughs> I'm here for you? Yeah, yeah. You do hear that? Yeah, yeah. When you're, you get someone to spot you oh, or, like, yeah. you get someone to help you with squats, which looks really uh, gay. <laughs> like, because they, like, wrap their arms around you yeah. and they, like, holster you like this. And so it's like... Yeah, whisper into your ear, Robert Frost poem. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, um, and then just nibble on it, like for that little extra push. Light, light blowing on your ear. Yeah, I'm here for you, bro. You can do these squats. Doesn't matter what those motherfuckers say. Um, but like to to the point, you you're reading um Camus um 
uh, Myth of Sisyphus, right? You yeah. just finished it? I, I didn't just finish it. I'm only about um, 40 pages in, and I don't read philosophical books like that very quickly. No. Because... They're heavy. Yeah, they're heavy, and I like to make a bunch of notes and write things in the margins and go back and relate things to earlier stuff. So I'll go through the book very slowly. I'll sometimes read pages over and over again, because I, I used to be in this mode of like, oh, let's just get all the information in my head but when you go through it and then you didn't really understand it like who cares and it's not like it's nothing it's not a competition to see how many books that you've read i feel like people treat books like oh look what i've read but i don't know it doesn't matter to me no to to me it doesn't even matter if you actually read the book yeah like if if you can get the information now i think you need to i think there are nuanced points that do not become available to you unless you've read the book um, and you've thought about them, and you're denied kind of that eureka moment when you when you are kind of like assemble all that information together in your mind. Yeah, you know. Um, and I used to get that same because I think we also treat like we treat books and knowledge like a, like an egotistical consumerist culture yeah. collection base. Like this defines me. Look how many books I've read. And I mean, we all do that. They're, they're like signalers of how much we know, much like our political positions. Um, Joe Rogan actually said something very interesting the other day. He said, um, people, um, we're, he was talking about flat earthers, and he's like, people love knowing something other people don't know. And they'll even go as far as believing in something that isn't true to know something that someone doesn't know. Yeah. I mean, welcome to all religion. Gotcha! Yeah, no, yeah basically. I re- that's, I don't know, like, being in an exclusive group it seems so important to people. And that's why, I mean, we do that on so many levels as far as like, uh, like career-wise and, and it's all just this uh, interaction with ego. I think ego is interacted with philosophy and intellect in a really interesting way. Whereas like if you read uh, a philosophy, like even in Camus' book, he criticizes a lot of the philosophies of other philosophers. And this is happening all the time. But all the time in criticisms and stuff like that, you'll see somebody going like, he's making this statement because of his ego involved. Like, he will be like, this guy, or like, that's the big criticism of Friedrich Nietzsche, is that like, he's just so egotistical that he's a piece of shit, you know? And His ideas were amazing, though. Yeah, I mean, I haven't read any of them. I'm not going to act like I have. I like how I dropped his name and like, was like, oh yeah, I'm going to pronounce it right. Like, you would if you had ego. But, yeah, I haven't read any of that shit. Well, this is the thing. I think the, the, the mere fact of worrying about your ego is stupid. You have an ego, dude. Yeah. Your ego is fucking dope. I think, like, this is why, like, dude, you know how far monks go not to have an ego? They live on a commune with all men where they do the same thing every day for the rest of their life. And most of that day is spent doing nothing and eating and doing chores. And they still have an ego. You can't. Yeah. <laughs> dude, the only way, guys, if you want to know the way to get rid of your ego, real simple, wrap your lips around a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> that that's it. That's that that and 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 let go. You know, um, that is the only way that you can basically stop the internal chatter, the status games, the wanting for more. All right, the, your ego is a problem-solving machine that uses stories and narratives to validate its own existence because it can contemplate the infinite and realize that it is nothing. And so, rather than really grappling with this, it constantly tries to assert that it's something. Yeah, I and mean, there's no. There, it is literally impossible 
to get rid of your ego because it's all it's uh i want to say prefrontal cortex i'm not like a neuroscientist or whatever neocortex. Like, yeah it's it's literally like housed in your brain mm-hmm. and it's a function of being a human so if you're like trying to get rid of your ego or whatever like being aware of it is fine but trying to kill it and get away from it like it's not really practical yeah you're okay you're a monk you be i've realized that like being enlightened you become enlightened and then and then what you're like oh i know that i am everything cool great now which you live on a I don't know. I'm not going to judge their lifestyle. If that's what you want to do, then fine. No, nah, dude, I'll judge your lifestyle, dude. It's real easy to, like, be all, like... <laughs> no, dude, I have, I have, like, five minutes of material on hating monks. Like, <laughs> and, and, like and it's just because I think it's real cocky. I think monks, priests, all of that. If you have to basically detach yourself from society... Dude, what, is, what, is, what does it sound like when you, there's a bunch of guys who hang out and they're in an exclusive club and no one can hang out unless they do the same rituals? It sounds like a frat. And what are frats? Douchey. Yeah, all right? Like, I was going to say rapey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, there's a... <laughs> yeah, that's right, monks. That's right. Yeah, we see you in the Vatican. Yeah, I went there. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's... It's that there is this idea of superiority, and that's why we can't associate with other people. Sure. Because, like, being around other people, we need to basically make ourselves feel better. So, like, there's this massive amount of ego Yeah, which in is that. the ultimate function of ego. It's like the superiority of the separation. Exactly. Like, get the fuck over yourself. Exactly, man. Like, dude, this is the thing. It's like, I have so little ego that I have a massive ego, and I know, <laughs> like, you know, like, that's... That's, that's so funny. And, and it's, it's, it's there, you you know, and like to, to me, being a human and trying to get rid of your ego is like trying to be a man but cutting off your dick. It's just like, you, how are you gonna like fuck life? Like your ego is literally your 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 conscious dick, right? It's like a me- it's like your conscious cock. You're trying to fuck universe. Yeah. You're trying to fuck the universe and and come out your ideas in, into the universe, and you're trying to impregnate people's minds yeah. with your ideas. And then if they, if you can't impregnate enough people, then you guys go out and slaughter all the people who don't believe <laughs> what you your ego believes. All right. That's, you- wait. <laughs> go. <laughs> you're making all these good points. First of all, only person that's gonna come up with metaphysical brain cock. Uh, the listeners can't see this, but Bill was miming, uh, shooting his jaw like this. First of all, this earth mime too big for your brain. <laughs> oh, shit, that's really but you made a great point. I, I'm gonna cut you off right where you start slaughtering people for not agreeing with you. But yeah, that's what we've done, and that's what the function of like what everybody's done through history is yep. that we care so much about our own ideas that we're imposing them onto other people. And I think that's where we're trying to like where I mean that's still what happens. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's the whole game of like I'm trying to impregnate you. You don't want to be impregnated by my idea going by your model. And then I get upset so I'm like, "Well, guess what?" Everybody has to die now. I didn't want to make that any darker. There was a there was a route that. No, you you were you were gonna say mind rape them. Yeah, and, and that's what dude. That is what that's what Christianity did in 1100. That's what fundamentalist uh, Muslim terrorists are doing in in uh, in the Middle East and Syria and stuff like that. That's it's, what advertising is doing currently. Mm, currently. Go on on about that. I mean, you, we are since we live in a consumerist culture and a consumerist society. The advertising that is, like, given to us is we've never had a choice. You've never had a – when you since you were a kid, you've been watching advertisements, and it's all just fucking in your head. 
and I'm not making any new points here, but it's it's so intimately connected with your being. Like imagine a world that did not have advertising. I don't think you can do it. We don't we can't understand the concept of being outside of products or buying things or a monetary system. Whereas for hundreds of thousands of years, humans didn't do that. But th these are these little things that they've impregnated our minds with, which even if it isn't the actual advertisement, even if it's not the fucking McDonald's arches, it is the idea of when I get something else, I will be happy. And that's right where they've placed the ad. It's like we've taken that very human need of more, of better, of wanting, and then we've gone like, oh, okay, I have a puzzle piece that can fit in there. You buying my shit. And it's inside of our brains, and it's, it's really fucking us up. I mean, it's the reason why we're all like well, to our phones and shit. Well, it's like what I, those are so many nuanced points. And one of the things I like how you said puzzle piece, I look at it like it's a math equation, right? It's like, mm. it's like I am unhappy, but plus this mystery product, I get happiness. Yeah. Right? And the, the problem is there's actually two problems in this equation. Is is that uh, is that number one that product doesn't work? So it's like doing a math equation where you're like one plus one is nineteen. Yeah, you know, and you're like you're like you write it down, you submit it to yourself. Yourself is like that answer's wrong. Mm -hmm. You're like what? But the but the teacher society told me. Yeah, <laughs> you know the other level of that is that the that the first number is a one happiness. That dude, I don't. I talked about this earlier. I got a new tag for my Twitter that I'm going to put up. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. it's going to be a joke, but it's uh, our, uh, what's called, our parents. Wait, oh, yeah. We were taught to be, oh, if, if we were taught um, that we were supposed to be miserable, we'd all be a lot happier. And I, is that how I said it earlier? Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. You got it. And, and what basically is this, is that I don't think happiness is the baseline. I recently wrote on my Twitter, I was like, 7,500,000,000 to zero. Loneliness, happiness, mm -hmm. right? And loneliness is the baseline. Loneliness, you can have brief windows of not being lonely. You yeah. get, that's it, and that's okay. Well, that's because that's what, you strip away everything that exists. You are just there with your own consciousness. Yeah. And that's the only, it's like a, a solipsistic idea, but it is what it is, yeah. you know? Everything that you can experience, you can experience everything except for not experiencing. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine you not being here. I can imagine this room not being here. I can't imagine me not being here because I'm the one who's imagining. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately like super, super lonely. Yeah. And that's okay. If you are just like, yeah, I feel lonely most of the time. And that's human. And, you know, people be like, no, no, you shouldn't feel lonely. No. It's okay. Nah, feel lonely. Yeah. You don't need to not feel lonely. I don't know if it's, I think it might have a lot to do with this idea of not, I think the malcontent that we feel is probably more extreme than any other human being throughout history just with our culture right now. But I also think that's just because we've been taught to feel like that's a, a terrible thing to feel. I don't necessarily think that we should be running away from our dark feelings, our sadness, the idea that happiness is the goal of like, really, what the fuck is happiness? What is happiness? It's not something that can be sustained or like kept at a baseline where we can keep going. You, I feel like everybody is trying to get in the back of their heads to a place where we're just like happy every day, every day killing it all the time, happiness. There are ups and downs, but the downs are so incredibly small in comparison to the ups that everything is great. And that's, have you ever been there in your life? 
No. I've never been there. And I don't think I'm ever going to get there. Oh, I don't want to hang out with someone who lives. Like, this is... <laughs> For real. Like, like, you know what makes me happy? Like, making fun of people who say they're happy. Like, you know, I, I think this is the thing, is that life is, is. Right? And expectation hurts. Right? This is where the monks have right. Is, um, expectation is suffering. Like, you, you need... Expecting something... And it's, it's, it's basically a byproduct of us having a very being the more intelligent you are the less you live in the moment because the more you can forecast your thoughts like basically one of the things about intelligence and how it works is the inferences you make i don't necessarily think the iq test is very is a good form of measuring someone's intelligence i think intelligence is a lot more localized like a mechanic might not have a super high iq but he can hear a certain count sound from a car and know what's the problem with that car know exactly yeah. what's causing that and i think that's a form of intelligence and so with that the more robust the more intelligent you get the more patterns you look for the less you actually live in the moment the more you're expecting things to happen to validate basically that those sequences of thought and in that you don't live now and i don't think that you have to like it's like everyone's like live in the moment be present but i think really there is a premium on being inside your body like like feeling because i think that, that a lot of people's sadness or depression is rooted in the fact that they aren't feeling they're thinking and thinking is very different than feeling you know like i can i can think a lot without feeling anything yeah i mean there's so many there's so much that goes on as far as when you're when you're thinking and you're you're it's all outward it's all i think thought even when about yourself is outward because you're thinking about yourself as an abstract concept instead of as what you are whereas like being present and presence isn't like always staying in the exact moment because that's something that's impossible yeah we always have to think forward but there's if you can't rectify those two things and you're realizing that like oh my god i'm not being in the moment like this is the problem people have with meditating we're like fuck i'm fucking it up i can't do it i'm not in the moment because i'm thinking about how i'm not in the moment yeah of course you're not because we can't be and once you realize that we can't be and you're not thinking about that as much you're a little bit closer to being in the mm. moment but you're never going to be all the way in the moment you're never going to be all the way happy and Maybe that's the idea of what misery is and people will realize that and feel upset about it. I feel like uh, you mentioned the myth of Sisyphus. The big idea in that is the absurd, which mm -hmm. is the division between our want for meaning and life's inherent lack of meaning. Mm -hmm. And that leads to a lot of suffering or that's what the inherent suffering of life is. But when you're realizing that that's what that suffering is, you don't really have to worry about it as much. There's, there's to think something and know something, and once you can get inside that and feel it, really you realize, oh yeah, that's what it is, it doesn't matter. It's basically yeah. why you shouldn't kill yourself. Or maybe you should. I don't know, I haven't finished the book yet. It, 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 the end of the book, so I was supposed to read it for class, um, and read brief passages and spark notes and whatever piece together lectures to write a half coherent essay yeah. you know, where they passed me through um because um G, uh, gpa inflation um <laughs> um but is that the reason why you don't kill yourself is why <laughs> is it, why do it or why not do it yeah it's just, basically it doesn't matter either way it doesn't and so just live. i don't know why not you're gonna die anyway. That's exactly. kind of my thought. It's, a, it's the inevitability of death. 
And um, I think um, the meaningless... So, and we're both existential thinkers in this, is that we, we create meaning. Like, like stand up, you know, I could, I could, like, not care. Yeah. But I choose to care, you yeah. know? And I choose to care partially, and I've been, like, big on the status thing lately. It's because I think human beings, we, we can root most of our decisions down to creation of status. And um, that we do things to make us either feel good or make us feel like we're gaining or accruing more status. And um, it sucks that sometimes what makes us feel good actually takes away from status. Mm -hmm. And and that's actually, I think, a a byproduct of, of, of addiction. I think because generally we, we increase status in society for doing things that society wants or lauds or adding value to society. And most of the anxiety that we have is about how much status we have in any situation. Uh, you know, I go into a party and, or you bomb, right? You eat a dick on stage and you're like, man, like, what is he thinking about me? Like, right. did, does that just knock me down two points on the leaderboard? What does that mean mm. about me but in how they see me? Not about me as a human being but, like, how they perceive me. Because I actually think that most people know who and what they are but they don't know how other people perceive them and that's what bothers them. Yeah. That's, that's a huge – I never even thought about that, the accruing of status because that's so much of what it is. Even in, like, you have these career goals, even if it's – artistic even if you don't think you care about status at all i think that your version where you say i don't care about status i think internally you think that that gives you your own version of status yeah that's incredibly uh nuanced of a point that's crazy i'm gonna be like in an existential crisis over that uh the next couple days well you no problem man it's basically what i i think that there's so much pain in the modern sense and i talked about this on podcast i did with steve tapas recently um was that about communism but is that the status anxiety it it is why people kill themselves in the modern world it is that is that we are sold Durkheim says that we're sold this basically this manufactured story of how we're we are aware that we could be upwardly mobile we mm. could before there were caste systems there were feudal lords there were slaves there were plebs there were people there were the haves and have nots they were drawn in life and we knew that no one grew no one went up. You were given your lot in life, and there is a freedom in that. Right. There's a freedom in not being in control. There's a freedom in knowing that you're not responsible for your failure. But now, our failure is personalized because we have so the stories of people who have transcended their caste are omnipresent. They're ubiquitous, right? And we have to basically like deal with that within ourselves. And then we have the entire thing like, hey, you know, I am like a comedian. Right? What does that convey about me? Or let's say I'm, I, I'm, I'm studying for the bar right now. I become a lawyer and I lose my law job. What does that say about me? The first question you ask is at a party, oh, so what do you do? Oh, now I give you some narrative that you don't give a fuck about. They can't wrap right. you up in a box. And now I feel like my status is being threatened. Or let's say my wife is having sex with a neighbor. And now all of a sudden I'm like, what does that say about me? My, oh, I find out my son's gay and my, my, my daughter's a lesbian. What does that say about me? What are people going to think about my parenting? And it's completely, most of these things are basically inwardly focused, how do I measure up to other people? Yeah, well, I mean, what do people think and what, how do I measure up with other people? I think is one of the key, like, the key problems that infects us and, and turns, at least me, when I start comparing myself to other people, again, obvious point, makes me miserable. But the idea is so sound where it's like all this 
comparative logic, basically, that goes into me being like, oh, am I better on this scale, on this scale, on this scale, on this scale? Suddenly, I mean, who wants to be spending all this time balancing all these goddamn scales? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, but even when I get to the place where I'm not balancing those scales, maybe like monks do or something, that's still another form of my superiority. So what is the answer to that, do you think, is that? Can you repeat that? I just feel like we don't, if everything is internally motivated by status and comparing status and who we are but at least for me and i think for a lot of people comparing status is actually what leads to anxiety even when it's winning or i mean losing obviously but even when you're winning in a version of status against other people how do we rectify the fact that what we're doing internally all the time is status based versus the fact that like this status game of comparing myself all the time is like upsetting me. So you, number one, you acknowledge that it exists. So whenever you're able to label it, it's like the first thing, right? Like not, you're not aware when, like when you start meditating, you're, you become aware, oh fuck, I'm thinking all the time. Yeah. I, I just can't not. And what you end up doing is you label it. And I'm still working through this. I still have status, like, like you know, I'm entrenched in it. I don't think you completely check out, but I think one of the things that they teach you in, in game that I think is really constructive is there's a mantra and it's I'm I am enough and when you get caught up in this like I think the rat race is fun I think it's a game that we want to engage in I want to be the best comedian I want to be like this I want to I want to transcend I want to inspire and motivate people but I also need to know that no matter what I am enough and we can take solace in that we can we can basically in moments where it feels like what you know I I, I missed out on this great opportunity I messed this up I I'm the, my girlfriend isn't who I, I want her to be I, I don't do this it's just I am enough hmm. and 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 basically applying that heroin shot to your psyche you know and I I don't think it's like heroin I know heroin's a form of medicine it's just yeah. that people use it too much and I think I am enough can be used too much I think I am enough if you're not out there crushing it. You know, and living up, then I don't think you should be using it. Because I, I, I think that there is also, I think there's two levels of confidence, right? There's esteem, which is like, I am enough. That's it. I'm by, I have value because I exist. I don't need to do anything else. I am who I am. And I think that's very important in social situations. But I think in the architecture of your life, you can't be playing I am enough when you're sitting at home by yourself, not doing anything. You can't, you're always with yourself. Yeah. And the ego needs to feel like it's contributing to society to feel meaning. We, that, that most people, the reason why um, uh, uh, Karl Marx said that like, we feel that we, capitalism destroys work for the worker is that we don't see ourselves in our work. We don't know that we have meaning. We don't know that we have value. And I think with the ego, you have to contribute to this narrative that you're constructing. Yeah. But in social situations, it doesn't matter. You go up to someone and they're like, what do you do? I'm unemployed. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't have anything that I'm doing right now in between stuff. You got any jobs? <laughs> yeah, and, then, and, and in that honesty, in that not trying to veil it, you're letting yourself know that this is okay. That I don't need to be worried about my status. My status is immutable. You're treating it as such. But at the back end, just constantly working to improve your life state. Right. So that I am enough status is the idea that inherently, because you are who you are, you are enough. But mm -hmm. what the status game outwardly is, is completely not only like fluid, but like 
up to interpretation of literally everybody you meet. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you you can never possess it, and you cannot know it. And mm-hmm. and you tr- trying to solve how someone feels, cares, or thinks about you is trying to solve an unsolvable problem. It's trying to find alien <laughs> alien contact in the past or whatever. You're you're looking for something that your brain has attached me to, but you will never find out. I assume everyone talks shit about me, but loves yeah. me. Like and, <laughs> you know, and, and I I do that because my mom talks shit about me, but loves me. All right, so like, I'll never solve it. Like, let me just use that as a binary association for problems that can't be solved. Right. I mean, I don't think that any any thought on what anybody else thinks about you. I don't know. Maybe I'm going back and forth on this because I feel like the way you affect people is important, and you should be aware of how mm-hmm. you're affecting people. But it also shouldn't be something that's your primary concern about, like. When I was, uh, yeah, I'll say it, I was doing ayahuasca. I remember I had this thought that was like, I am so concerned all the time about how other people about, feel about me. And then it just came to this realization that like, you, okay, you hate me? You, fuck, fuck you. Who the fuck are you? Fucking hate me. I don't know. It doesn't matter who, I, also, I don't think anybody really hates me, but... It, You're does, not, it shouldn't. You want to be successful enough to matter. hurt someone to hate you, though. Yeah. I, like, I remember thinking about that. They were talking about, like, hey, yeah, Hillary has political enemies or something like that. I was like, dude, I want to be successful enough to where I have enemies. Yeah. <laughs> I want, yeah. That fucking James Franco success where people literally would murder you if they could yeah. from North Korea. Oh, man. That's, that's hot. That, I, I think you touched on something, too, is like, hey, you know, you, you spend all this time, you're, you're thinking about other people, and, you know, like, fuck, fuck you, you know, like, I don't, I don't, like this, I, I remember having this thought, is every thought anybody has ever had about you is, is in a made-up language, in a consciousness that is an illusion, about things that don't matter. Hmm. Every thought you've ever had is in a made-up language. Every, there's not been one, like, real truth. There's symbolic references of Truth. Yeah. There are in a in a brain that thinks it's aware. They all, all you have to do is shut off a couple faculties and this the entire. Th- and um, I, I remember watching the Sam Harris video where he talks about like your entire consciousness is an illusion. It, it like it, it and 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 that we're so and that to me is like very heavy. Like you know like wow like, this feels so real. Yeah. But like that's the nature of an illusion. But I don't think that that uh, I mean even as it is an illusion. I still think that we can find value in it. Mm-hmm. I just think that the fact that it's all fake kind of makes it, for me, a lot easier mm-hmm. when I'm struggling with something. I just realize that, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to die. Yep. And somebody, you know, comes up to you, talks some shit, and it's just like, well, you're going to die, too. And we're all just going to be kind of gone. There's not really anything that you can say that's going to be so upsetting or, or so fucked up that it's like it's all going away so we can't take it so seriously and then part of not taking it seriously and part of playing the game is forgetting that it's not a game a little bit yeah well so i i i, lo- I love that, that it is a game sorry I, I love that you said that. i actually said that on the last podcast with shira is um i had a video though that i put using nihilism for your happiness and basically, yeah, it's not like you stay. I don't think nihilism is supposed to be a permanent state. No. Like, like, I think it's just, it's just really just kind of boring after a while. Yeah. But I think there are moments where you can deploy nihilism. That, like, that's basically it. That basically, you just took a nihilism pill right there. Like, 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I just got blown out by this really hot chick. We're all gonna die. <laughs> like <laughs> that's. We're all gonna die anyway. So yeah. It doesn't I'm, matter. I'm gonna wake up tomorrow and um, this is gonna be all, all the feelings I feel that are so real right now. That's another scary thing. It's like things feelings can feel so real. There's just nothing. Yeah. Like, like I, I remember like some of the stuff I've, I've I've experienced the most intense emotions I've ever experienced watching the Rockets play. Like I mean, and like completely like lost all everything like i'm in it and now it looks ridiculous to me you know like the mo my, my my biggest most emotional outbursts look stupid yeah in retrospect and that means like almost all feelings are temporary all feelings are temporary oh well, yeah all feelings are temporary because all the feelings that you have like as you said all those feelings aren't really real in any yeah. sense these are like certain levels of certain things firing in your brain and they're here only, feelings only ever exist in the moment. So you can be here and recognize your own emotional context. But because you're angry about something, that doesn't mean that that thing is something that causes anger. That's mm. how you're feeling about it. It's all in your relation to that thing. And it might not even be anger. And it might not even be, yeah, anger is just sadness on cocaine. It's my well, favorite. <laughs> oh, I told, um... Sure, and I were talking about this, and she was saying, like, you know, like, I was like talking about how people feel like they need flutter a lot of times, and girls specifically, but there are guys who do this too, is they'll be in a relationship with someone, but it feels too easy. Like they don't have the flutters or whatever like that because they're comfortable around the person, sure. and so they they don't they 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 basically interpret that as a lack of love, right? Like there's a lack of true love or whatever. But here's the thing is, is that's just you labeling anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you're labeling anxiety as, oh, a spark or, oh, you know, like I, the way I feel is like this. It's like you literally are just putting that label on there. And because maybe the person you're talking to is attractive, you basically have put it into that box of them making you feel anxiety or you over filtering yourself or afraid to mess up. It's not basically feelings are a physiological response, right, to a certain thing. No, no. We have a physiological response and feelings are whatever we label them. But the thing is we have tons of physio – like a lot of physiological responses are exactly the same. Right. Exactly the same. And so it has to do with our labeling and it's us like why am I thinking this way? And then we put together a narrative of why we think that way. Yeah. That's, that's how once we've labeled it, then you've transfixed it and then suddenly – as soon as you, you've labeled and you're uh, – Jesus Christ. As soon as you've labeled an emotion, you have immediately said – that's what it is, and that's what I'm feeling. And then, it's not even when you feel the emotion. It's after you've labeled the emotion. Mm. That's when you're actually fearful or scared. Or, I'm anxious now after I've felt the thing. When you, I mean, there's no way to get around doing that. It's no. just because we've made this made-up language, and we're, we've and it, done this thing it's where we've easy. attached all the labels. We've just immediately gone like, okay, this is what this is, this is what this is, this is what this was. Imagine... We don't have those feelings, then we're just, or we don't have those labels for feelings, then we're just feeling these physiological responses and maybe moving through them a lot faster than if we fix them and put up these bars around ourselves to where we've like boxed ourselves in with this identity because we placed a fucking line around it that says, this is this. And that's how we have to function because we have these dualistic brains that have to categorize and, and put things into their own little boxes. But we have to realize that those boxes that we've all constructed are 
pretty are pretty transient and not actually you know they are constructions they are constructions and i i like the whenever you took, talked about it, it it is like our our thoughts are just or who we are just a series of boxes we're just trying to place and fit things and also is that it indicates a certain response so if i interpret a physiological response let's say of anxiety as like so like isn't it weird how like the same thing like we'll feel similar things around a person that we are really trying to court as we will like sitting for a big test and that's because it's rooted in expectation and what we should do and that's why the problem with that's why we label things as feelings is because it elicits a certain response that we can go on a certain trajectory or whatever like that the problem is is a lot of people's response to their feelings is destructive we've learned bad habits and we we're, it's like a kid who, who learned how to shoot basketball somewhat competently and just ran with it yeah. but there are better ways he could have shot the basketball and that's the thing is is because they become so reflexive it goes physiology feeling action like like that yeah that people really have a hard time um stopping themselves from making decisions that goes against their narrative or, or ego or what their ego wants for themselves or their admirations of the best self and a lot of times the ego doesn't feel really satisfied unless day by day we're working up to that like larger self like you know days that you're hitting multiple mics they're going well i'm writing you're writing you're working on podcast episodes you're working on a pilot you're going to classes and then you're saving money that day feels a lot different than a day you just spent jerking off why because there's an idea of self that you're trying to build up to i think the ego is trying to build up to a magnanimous self that lives in the future right and and that days that don't live up to that only bother it yeah you know and um but the reason we have days that don't live up to it is because we have the incorrect response to our feelings and if we learn how to game no matter what the physiological response is we game our physiological response to do what we actually want to do not what our feelings tell us to do we'll be in a lot better place that's interesting you are gaming yourself essentially you don't have to do what you say or you are in charge of you however you want to frame that you are there are two versions i guess if you have a higher self and a lower self if you want to call it that and i mean this is like a somewhat of a freudian idea but the lower self in this person that's feeling just wants to feel and just wants to go like oh i'm sad so i'm gonna mope or like i'm mad so i'm gonna punch a wall and that's what being an adult is and that's what actually becoming mature is realizing you're not like a bitch to your own feelings you can do whatever you want and some people get really extremely good at this i think the people that are the best at it are the most successful because they can temper their feelings and then do what is the quote-unquote best thing for them to do well best thing under their value set yeah. and that's how they build self-esteem that's why I said, quote unquote. yeah well the the thing about the feelings thing though is also is like i want to do a bit where i'm like yeah guys um you know how people say like 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 do what feels right no, Don't never, <laughs> never. That is the worst advice ever. Do you think that the the, the fucking Empire State Building was built by a guy who dealt, did what felt right? No, there he did math. Math doesn't make you feel like you know, like and it, and it goes into this basically every decision that your feelings are telling you to do is a recipe for failure. Do you know how long civilization didn't exist for a hundred and ninety thousand years? A hundred and ninety thousand years, people did what they felt like fucking doing, and it led us. To jack shit you know what the first thing like when someone was just like hey let me sit here and observe these seeds in the ground now yeah wait 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 i'm getting all these impulses go no i'm just gonna sit here and look at these seeds we get agriculture all right right? And, and it builds up by people basically saying no to their feelings all right and this goes against what i just said earlier about feelings making you feel present because i feel like a lot of people are sad because they're not in their body they're constantly thinking yeah 
That's what I. That's exactly what I was about to say. Is aren't we contradicting contradicting ourselves a little bit? Because we're saying get around yourselves, get outside of your feelings. Don't be just yourself in the moment, always reacting to who you are because you think that that's what you need to do because that's how you be productive, a member of society. But we've also said that that is the main causer of suffering and anxiety. Those two things are what we have to oscillate between mm-hmm. for fucking ever. And then we're going to die. Yeah. And the thing is, is knowing when to do what, right? Like sometimes I can't stop thinking during sex and it ruins it for me. I'm yeah. just like, I'm like, man, dude, I'm crushing. Oh man, my rhythm's off. <laughs> have you ever been, ever been get it, like getting a blowjob and immediate, like the moment you start judging like the quality of it, you're just like, Ah, oh, well, this is over. Hey, this this over. is done. Yeah, exactly. You get that critic in you. Yeah. You, dude, this is the or same. It's like, you need more practice. Fuck. God damn it. Well, here, here's the thing is, like, and, like, I like how you brought that up because that reminds me of, like, whenever you're writing, right? You've written screenplays. I've written yeah. screenplays. Like, I've, whenever I'm doing a creative piece and I'm editing while writing, I can't, I, I, it won't make it past a page. Because, yeah. like, the thing is, is, is that the creativity needed to have basically a transcendent, creating experience and the the basically the uh the critic thing is completely different things and so what you have to do is basically dissolve into moments you have to basically section times and like the people who are most successful know how to get their habit triggers right so they know how to just shut off like what they're thinking like before recently before i go up on stage i've just started pacing back and forth and like before and it kind of just gets me into this rhythm moment and then i get up on stage and i don't go into my bit right away i start like talking about something in the room and i start talking about it with meaning and purpose as if that's what I went to talk about and then I'll pull that into my thing and that gets me into the moment and it gets me feeling right and I think spontaneity gets us feeling I think thoughts so so I think there's time I think we need to set up a recess for spontaneity right and like in in life I think there's just not a lot of times where people feel spontaneous what they do with their free time they watch television that was written by somebody else which they have absolutely no control over they don't know how to play with people right and the only time that they can really play or dissolve or let go of the status anxiety that they perceive they have is if they lower their iq by 15 points by taking 18 shots running up a bill for 180 dollars and potentially ruining their lives and then in it like there's a point where you drink so much where there is a cloud in between who you are and where the alcohol begins it's actually a very scary if you're perceptive of it because there are points where i'm drinking and i'm like i'm still me like, I'm 100%. Like, like, all the decisions I'm making right now are me. But there is a point where I'm, I've been so drunk where some of the decisions I'm making aren't me. Like, like, and it's not like, like I, I'm still there. Mm-hmm. Like, but, like, I don't have... It's, it's like, um, it's like at the beginning, sobriety has, like, eight... Like, maybe, like, there's a table of ten people, and that's who you are regularly. And then when you drink... Alcohol gets one one seat at the table. Then they get two. Then they get three. Then they get four. And the scariness happens at five. Yeah. And, and, and then you're like quasi lucid you're doing this like they're thinking like things in your body and shit that you don't even know and the scary thing is, is people have gotten rid of all 10 people yeah. and, and it's literally like a demonic possession like and I, I imagine so because it's just like you're not even home lights out no yeah and then you have like your supreme court is just doing all this bullshit and letting all these laws pass that are like it's okay to shit on the table mm-hmm. if you feel like it according to this law, and there's nobody there to monitor that. I like what you said about it changing your you, because I felt, uh, I just turned 21, so I've started drinking a little bit more, but not really. But I felt recently like I had one drink, and I legitimately thought to myself, oh, one drink in me is my favorite me, because it takes like this one step into more spontaneity, 
not really giving a shit. But we have to realize that whatever you can get from alcohol or any drug, really, I think, and I do drugs, not a lot, but sometimes, that's all stuff that you can get from yourself, and you don't need an excuse to be that way. That's not to say, like, act like you're high or something, but you don't need an excuse to have fun and be silly and do whatever the fuck you want. I mean, this has been, like, a semi-serious conversation, but usually, like, when we're hanging out, I'll be like, doing some, we'll do some kind of bit, we'll just be weird, because it won't matter. Well, we know that we don't care. Well, it's funny you say, you you, you said that, because I made a video on my YouTube where it was like, um, uh, use your friends like drugs. Yeah. And basically your friends elicit a certain emotional response in you. And that the reason why a lot of people have homesickness is because who, who they thought was actually themselves was actually their relationship with their friends. And so they're not getting access to those series of emotions and they're suffering from withdrawal. And like, yeah, like, but dude, like when we hang out, like, even from the first time we hung out, it was like, boom, 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 boom. We could build and play all these different varying types of games. There's, like, lack of judgment there or whatever, but there's, like, a lot of trust. And the thing is, a lot of people don't have relationships with people where they can play like this. They don't have a relationship with themselves where they'll allow themselves to be this, hmm. you know? And, like, that's one of the things I always tell guys, like, to, to study pickup or whatever because it teaches you how to – like, a lot of people are like, dude, Will, how do you do – like, basically the place on stage, I'm the biggest punk. Or basically place in life, I'm the biggest punk, is usually on stage. Because I care. Yeah. And I feel judged and it's where I tap into this whole status thing. But a lot of other places, I, I will do things other people won't do. That's basically because I just realized and trained myself that I can just do whatever the fuck I want. And I will care about people's feelings. Like, this is the thing. And it, you said this earlier and I want to comment on it. We, you have to be aware of the signs people are giving you whenever you're doing something. I 100% agree with that. I think there's a huge problem with people not reading social cues, and especially in a romantic context or, or anything. Like You need to be aware of how they're feeling about you in that moment. But how they feel about you as a collective is something out of your control. You know, and so if you see someone f like pulling back or whatever, you need to like, hey, I'm being too much for them. Yeah. You know, and then you do the requisite thing or you back off or you realize you can't have a relationship with that person and still be yourself there are people i can't i can't be i can't have a relationship with you you can be a fucking good person i just can't have a relationship with you romantic or friendship and still be myself and you still be yourself and us be friends because yeah, I, I think that's one of the one of the woke wokest i fucking hate that word now one of the best things that you can realize for yourself mm -hmm. is it doesn't mean anything about this person yeah it doesn't mean anything about me but I want to be myself. I can't be myself, and they can't be themselves completely if we're around each other because the way our personalities and relationship matches up. So once you can realize that and realize that's not a problem with that, them or you, it's really the best thing for you and them to do, to just be like, yeah, we're not going to hang out, and we're not going to be friends because I'm not me and you're not you, and I don't want to do all this social posturing that... I have to do to a degree because you have to with any other human body in the room. Yeah. But the least that you can do that, the the less and less that you can do that is the best. I mean, that's what the idea of love is, I think, where you don't have to do any of this shit and you can just be completely yourself and know that's okay with another person there. Yep. And it's less exhausting. Yeah. Because you're not wearing a mask. Because, like, dude, the thing is, is trying to be – filtering yourself is actually very tiring. And I think that's another reason why people suffer. Yeah. It's because we, we exist in, in, in environments constantly. Like, I was talking in the last episode with Shira, like, about how we – 
What's the sad thing is, is like you'll be in a relationship with someone, right? Let's say you're, you're married to a girl even. And you tell her like, hey, you know, your friend Cindy's cute. Like, you know, and she gets really offended. And you're like, oh, okay, like maybe it's not okay for me to share that. And then there's another event, maybe some something else happened, but it's along the same line during the day and you don't say that. And then pretty soon years stack up and there's just a whole part of your life that you just can't say in front of this person. And you feel stifled and, and, and that leads to you not saying other things because it attaches to those other things. And pretty soon rather than, than deal with not saying all those things is just you you just shut down and you don't know why you can't relate in the same way and you can't relate in the same way because you can't give it your all and I think that's why lying like I, I talked about this in the last episode with sure about like open relationships I think the problem is is like the only problem with cheating on someone and lying about it isn't really you're being horrible to them. I mean, that's part of it. Yeah. But it's that you can't be yourself around them, which is horrible for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've entered into this contract. There's a lot of dimensions to it. You've entered into this social contract according to, like, the classic version of relationships. And I, I think that open relationships are probably the best. Yeah. Uh, but you've entered into this social contract where... I am going to be this thing, and I'm going to represent this, and I'm only going to fuck this one specific person on Tuesdays and Saturdays and sometimes Thursdays if I'm lucky. And you go through that, and you get into that rhythm, and you realize that you are more than that. You're dynamic. That person is dynamic. And there are other people that are going to come in contact with you Mm -hmm. that are dynamic that you may be able to relate to in that way. Like, I've never ever cheated in my life, and I used to, like judge people very harshly who would but then realizing that these people before you ever cheat or before you ever have an action it that person doesn't even feel like it's okay for them to say i want to cheat and if they don't feel okay to even say that then like fucking of course they cheat because Mm -hmm. there's a division between you and the other person so any listener and look I don't I've never been in a relationship really so I don't really have anything that I can say because I don't have any actual experience but according to what I think and what I've listened to and read if you feel like there's anything you can't say in your relationship break up immediately because that's just gonna get worse or say the thing and then work past it but don't feel like you're boxed in. So I'll push you on. I, I do think if you want soulmate true love shit, you have to. If, if that's your standard, if you want a soulmate true love relationship, I, I agree with you. But I also agree that there's there's another dimension where I, I think that we can compartmentalize relationships. Yeah. But the thing is, is going into it knowing what to expect. Is she just your wife that you're raising somebody, family with, and you have okay conversations with, and blah, 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 and then that you experience your full self with your best friends or whatever, or what? Then, yeah. But you just got to know that. Don't be expecting true love when you can't say that thing. Yeah. You know, and I, 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 I use the word true love. I do think, like, that can happen, but it needs that honesty, man. It needs that honesty from you, you know? And, like, I think, honestly, fundamentally, we want to play with people who can play with our darkest ideas. Yeah. You know, like, one of the reasons I'm, I have access to more confidence than other people is I have so many relationships in which I get access to where I can just say whatever the fuck I want. And I make it happen quickly. I, I'm, I pretty much overwhelm most people. If, and, like, like, I'm very, like... Yeah. Like, Everybody knows who Bill Batiste is. Yeah. And if, if you can't handle it, which most people can't, like, that's why, like, I don't have favorite friends. Like, I have people I talk to sometimes, but most people who come into the fold are cool with me. They're cool with, I'm not like, oh, man, wait until they find this out. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. 
It's just like, it's there. And then we can play with it and we can move on. And one of the things that really is interesting is, is that most people don't get windows into who they are. They have ideas of who they are. It's, it's funny, their ideas of who they are shield them from who they actually are. It's like they're wearing this armor of their idea of self and they've never seen who they actually are in the mirror. And it scares well, them. I think that's people's, if I can comment on people's problem with you, where mm-hmm. you're saying you don't have fair weather friends, you either push someone away or someone's right there with you. Mm-hmm. I think that thing is essentially what you just said. You're just like a window into you, who you are and you're like, really you understand who you are fundamentally i think and you have given like you don't give a fuck about what other people think about you in most social contexts because you're just being who you are i remember when we it was on christmas we went to walmart (laughs) and oh my fucking god what was the joke that you said it was like oh yeah um uh you have a good night oh you know who didn't have a good christmas eve mary because she was in labor and I fucking laughed, Josh laughed, and then, like, I think it was, like, four different people who overheard you or, like, the person we were talking to got fucking offended because I don't think it's the – it wasn't just the content of what you said. It was also, like, how dare he say that? Mm -hmm. How could someone be so bold and just say that and Mm -hmm. say that joke? Where, really, that just really impressed me because it was just, like, he's just being who he is. And I think people's problem is – they get insecure about the fact that they don't want to just be who they are. Yep. Because everyone's just like, oh, I feel like I have to do this type of social posturing. And Bill Petit comes in and goes, nope, I'm not going to do that. And I'm just going to be this thing. And I think everybody realizing that just gets that jealousy of like, well, I'm not being who I am. You know what that makes him? A douchebag. And then they go and they fucking... I don't know, do whatever they do, protest well, shit. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I do have uh, anti-Bill rallies. No, yeah. <laughs> there's one outside right now. It's right? really like, weird. God hates Bill. <laughs> I, I, the thing is, is like, and thank you for that. And like, it took a while for me to get there. But fundamentally, it's this, it's, just, it's like, it's like, man, why not? Yeah. And, and why, why not? Why live? I think you need to have courage. Yeah. I, I think... Uh, I, I said, um, I said that your your destiny is unearthed using two tools, courage and discipline. And with those two things used in tandem, you can achieve whatever you want. And knowing when to do both. If you're just too disciplined and keep your head down and have no courage and are coward, you only you only get to like middle management. Yeah. You know. And if you have just too much courage, and like I, there are tons of people who have so many opportunities and just piss them all away because they don't have the discipline. Discipline is the foundation. And I think the reason is it's a courage issue. Do we need to wrap up? I just check him real quick. Yeah. 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 Well, dude, this has been an amazing podcast. Yeah, dude. It's yeah. been a good one, man. Also, I want to say, just on, on the air, I'm really excited for you fucking going to Edinburgh. Thanks, going man. Going to New York, all that shit. And I'm happy we're friends. Like, you've been, like, one of the most instrumental people since I moved here. It's been so cool to, like, know you and be friends with you. So I wanted to say that on the pod. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate you, dude. And like, not to sound like, let me not sound fake and shit. I love you, bro, and I see a lot of myself inside you. Not, no, yeah, because we're having anal sex. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, I'm dead serious, man. And you're on a big and things. And honestly, I don't think it's gonna be too long till you're in New York. I, I really, I think, I can see it. Thanks, man. Yeah, it happened soon. But guys, you have, you plug your Twitter. He has a lit Twitter. Oh, uh, Skyler underscore Higley on Twitter. It'll be linked. Um, Huh? It'll be linked. Oh, it'll be linked. Great. And well, do you know when this is coming out? I'm just going to plug some shows. Yeah, yeah. Plug. Sick Boys, July 2nd and July 9th. Woke Up Stand Up, July 6th. 
if any of those dates pass before this podcast comes out, uh, time is not real, so who cares? Yeah, and they're probably great anyway because you know Skylar was doing them. As always, guys, um, like, follow, share, subscribe. Follow me on Twitter because I need it. Check out my YouTube channel, The Lazy Philosopher. And also, um, yeah, Godspeed and good night. Yeah, bye.